Thank you for listening to Calvary Aurora's weekly Bible study. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Okay, it's great to be here. Yeah, yeah that's her microphone, yeah. It's great to be here. Uh, it's just a tremendous blessing. We thank you so much for the support and the prayers that have gone on, over this, especially over this past year. You know, uh, January 1st, was our 47th wedding anniversary. And um, we were 18 years old when we got married, um, and we picked January 1st because we figured we'd forget all the rest of the dates. And so, (laughs) anyway, uh, it's been uh, quite a journey, quite a ride, and the Lord has been faithful. He's always been faithful. When uh, 2010 happened, after almost 30 years of pastoring in in North Phoenix, Arizona, um, we turned the church over to our second son, Jesse. Our first son, Micah, is here. He's on staff. But um, we we launched out to uh, help out other younger pastors and wives, especially in smaller churches. Little did we know that God had worked for us outside the United States. It was never on our prayer list at all. Um, and then all of a sudden it began to be evident that there was a need in England and they asked us in 2012 to consider coming and helping out for a couple of months um, in a church, small church, about 25 people, hadn't had a pastor for a year and a half. One fellow was trying to um, hold it together um, over a year and a half and um, that church was in Exeter, England. Exeter is about three hours by train southwest of London. And if you know where Bristol is, it's about an hour south of Bristol. And it's on the uh, Devon uh, County, and Devon and Cornwall are that last peninsula that comes out there. We don't have any pictures. We don't have any slides. We don't have any, anything like that. So we're asking you just to think of London and go west, okay? Um, 2016, we've been there for four years. 2016 was a year of uh, fruitful ministry, but it was also a year of deep challenges. And I firmly believe, when we've talked about this, uh, we firmly believe that we've made it through this past year because of the prayers, the intercessory prayers that have gone up over what's happened. We've had... Um, the, Chris Ward and his family moved over at the beginning of the year. Just tremendous help for us in setting up uh, the school of ministry, the online school of ministry that we started and, and the various Bible studies we had going. And it just seemed like this is great. And then um, we got that uh, video interactive school of ministry running in September with 20 students logging in from their homes and the teachers logging in from their homes, uh, UK pastors there. And so uh, nine weeks, it was just a, uh, trying to go deeper, trying to connect with British people that would not be able to go to a Bible school because they, they work full-time jobs, they have families, they, they've got a mortgage to pay. Uh, Saturday morning school for three hours. And it, it worked. It worked great. And what a tremendous blessing. And Jeannie's going to talk about um, some of the other things that were going on this year. 
Yes, this year after much prayer, um, I've been trying to get a Bible study going for two years, and this year it just seemed like um, fall came and I announced it, and uh, these women started coming. And it was so exciting. On Wednesdays, I have a Bible study in my home for a lot of the women that are married and um, in that area. And then on Saturdays, I have a Bible study for the university students. And our house is located about five streets from the university. And the Lord also um, ministered to me to go out in the villages. We have small little villages outside of Exeter. And there was a couple gals in our church that lived in these villages. And so we started reaching out to these women in the village that just needed to want to hear the word. They were hungry for the word. And so that has always been our prayer. And it's been exciting. We're coming together. We're praying. We're hearing the word. We're, they're applying it to their life. And it's, it's just really exciting. And then, of course, we have the university um, ministry where we do Solomon's Porch twice a month. And uh, since our church is about five streets from the university, we get a lot of kids in. And they roll out of bed, and there they are. And we don't care. We just love them, and we come together on Sunday morning. But twice a month, we have a ministry called Solomon's Porch, where they come in, and they, we give them dinner, and we do a small little Bible study, and then we open it up for questions regarding the Word. And it's been just exciting. They love to come to our house. We are like their mom and dad as they are far away studying. So um, there's a lot of exciting things. We've had the opportunity to plant two Calvary chapels this past year, uh, one down in Plymouth and the other in a, in a town called Yeovil. Sounds like something from Dr. Seuss, but it's Yeovil is really a town in Somerset. So we got those two, and then we were able to help in the pastoral transition of Calvary Chapel Woolacombe up on the North Devon coast, as well as um, help um, a pastor take over a church on the Flemish coast of Belgium where it became a Calvary Chapel. So it was quite an active year in that way. But then there were challenges. And the challenges were, just came from all sides. Uh, the challenges came from, um, we had a great ministry house right next to the church. Five bedroom, three bathroom, two kitchen, just perfect. Right along the main street where the university kids walk into city center. And then the owners called us and said, um, we have to move back in. Uh, we have to move into our house, so you'll not, we're giving you two months' notice. And so that closed. We had to send our charity workers home because of visa problems. Um, I had health issues, major health issues, Meniere's disease in my inner ear that really shut down all kinds of things. And, um, and, and then just an overall brokenness that... that just took place. It just seemed like the oppression got so great the middle part of the year you're, you're ready just to say I'm done. Um, and after all these years of ministry I've never really, I don't think I've ever, we've really ever come to that point. But you know the Lord is gracious in taking you to the lowest point possible and Deuteronomy 33 says, underneath are the everlasting arms. Which means no matter how low you fall, he's there underneath you and he's able to, to hold you 
and to be with you in that low place and then to begin to lift you up. Maybe some of you are in that place right now and you just think, I'm in free fall without a parachute and the land is coming up fast. You need to know that underneath are the everlasting arms. He's not done. And so, um, you know, through the grace of God, uh, through that uh, knot hole in the board, um, we were pulled, and then all these new families started moving into Exeter and coming to our church. Second half of the year, it's like the sun came up, and, and we're going, well, I guess we're not done. Here we go. And, and so, um, um, you know, we just praise the Lord for his faithfulness. Just some prayer requests quickly. Thank you. We need you to pray for Chris Ward and his family. They're going to be transitioning back to the States. They lost their visa. And so they'll be moving back um, by the end of March. Um, Also pray for more British uh, spiritual leaders to be raised up, New Southwest Bible studies uh, to to be raised up in England there, Um, fresh vision and passion. So... And the uni students. And and more uni students, yeah. More uni students. Yeah. So... God bless you. Thank you. Just remember us in your prayer. Thank you. All right. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. And tonight we're going to look at two verses. I promise not to hold you too long here. It's only two verses, so don't be afraid. (laughs) Hebrews 13. Every year, we make New Year's resolutions. It's a very popular thing to have happen. Usually it has to do with all that we failed to do in the previous year, and we want to just try again. But you know, there's a part of us that just has such a difficult time Finding true contentment. As a Christian, the Bible tells us that we, out of all people on the earth, have this possibility and probability and even promise to find true contentment, but there are some conditions. And so this contentment is something that God wants to put into our life and this section addresses it here in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 13 of Hebrews God has called us to live a life of freedom a life of joy and a life filled with love and contentment is a a special quality that everyone chases and doesn't seem to be able to grab a hold of as a Christian We can enter into seasons of contentment and then the battle starts and covetousness just seems to, you know, raise its ugly head and all of a sudden we are incontent, ungrateful, not thankful, whinging and complaining. But God has counsel for us here and I just wanted to share that and remind us. I'm not going to say anything you don't know, but I do want to remind us all, myself included, that God has a promise that we can really find true contentment if we will receive his counsel. So let's start with a word of prayer and then we'll look at these two verses because it really comes into 
two parts. Verse 5 is the exhortation against covetousness, and verse 6 is that expression of confidence we can have to be content in the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you so much, Lord, for your kindness to us. We thank you, Lord, for your word and your promises to us. We thank you that you know everything about us, backwards, forwards, up and down. And tonight, Lord, we want to hear your voice to us, individually, corporately. And we want to know, Lord, that you have a purpose and a plan for our life greater than we've ever anticipated. So tonight, Lord, open our hearts as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's a problem in, in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It, it starts with this verse, let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. And you, I want you to look closely because it, it implies we have a choice as Christians. The book of Hebrews is written to Hebrew Christians. We have a choice to not let covetousness rule our life and to, we have a choice to be content with such things as we have because he says, let it happen. But when this kind of a word is given, it implies God is waiting to, to be there to fulfill that. But there has to be a step of, of faith in our will to, to say, I, I want to go there. I don't want covetousness to rule my life. The word covetousness means in, in the Greek, loving silver. But yet it, it, it's, it's expanded to just things that we look at that we want to have a part of our life because we think that we need that to make our lives fulfilled and satisfied. Covetousness. The Apostle Paul was, was a very fastidious, faithful man to the law. But man, when he ran into the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's um, manservant, your neighbor's maidservant, or anything that's your neighbor's. It nailed everybody. It made everybody guilty, no matter if they kept everything else. Because covetousness is just that raunchy part of the sin nature because the eye is never satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. Solomon tells us that in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The whole marketing is based on covetousness. You realize that? You never knew your life was missing if you didn't have that special microwave. I mean, look at the new one now. You know, the one that you have is just so old and faded, but all of a sudden, your neighbors come over, according to the advertisement, your neighbors come over and go, that's amazing. And, and you think, I want the neighbors to do that to me, you know, and, and I need that $800 microwave, and I'm not sure if it fits in the hole, but we'll tell their cabinets out, because after all... Imagine your neighbors coming over and say, that's amazing. Well, they'll probably say, you're an idiot. You know, <laughs> what you, why did you buy that? Marketing is based on covetousness. Stirring up that incontentment so you'll buy their product. I was a sales manager for a little while. I understand that. 
Those years were rough. But guess what? The Bible also tells us in Colossians chapter 3 that covetousness is idolatry. Look at this. Covetous, excuse me, Colossians 3 5 says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire. All four of those are in the category of sexual sin. And then it goes to covetousness. And it says, which is idolatry. Because the whole issue of sexual sin has to to have its root in self-gratification. And the whole issue of covetousness, I want what someone else has, and I want it to try to fulfill my life. And it never can. Covetousness can only be conquered through the power of God and through the steps of faith in our life. Philippians 4, verses 11 to 13, the Apostle Paul writes this, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, and the word learned means through initiation. I have been initiated into the truth of this. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. Some of you know how to be abased because that's what's happening right now. And I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, you know, some of us have these little promise boxes you know, on our kitchen window counter or maybe in the middle of our, of our table in our uh, dining room, you know, and you pull out a promise, oh, this is so nice. And, and, you know, there's that little promise, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, I can, I can fly. You know, wait a second, the context is I can endure. I can find contentment in whatever situation my life brings to me. Well, I don't know if I like that verse. We'll put that in the back. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That promise is for every believer. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, Paul writes, For godliness with contentment is great gain, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. And so the counsel is valid. Let not your conduct, your manner of life be controlled by covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. And such things as you have simply means your current life situation, what's going around you right now. Now, does it mean that if your house burns down, then you should just live in a burnt house. 
Well, it, it doesn't mean that. It does mean don't let, don't let your things rule your life. Things are molecules. You realize that. You're sitting on chairs that are molecules. Your body is molecules. It's, it's, it's neutral. But when that item controls your life, it is no longer neutral, but it's an enemy of God. Does that make sense? God doesn't care what kind of car you drive, but if that car captivates your passion, then all of a sudden it's, it's a tug-of-war. There have been times when I've had to sell the car I have because I loved it too much. I'm just saying, I'm confessing that here before the world. I lost money on it. Why do I do that? I get caught up in the emotion and it captivates me. Be content with such things as you have. Contentment begins with God, not with things. Do you know that some people are not content with even a little? Some people are not content with having millions of dollars. It's just never enough. I had an assistant pastor in Phoenix back in the late 80s. He grew up in a German orphanage. And it was so poor for Christmas that he would get an orange. That was his Christmas gift, an orange. And so he would take and hide the orange, but he, he would look at his orange and someone else would have a bigger orange than he had. And all of a sudden, there's covetousness over a stupid orange. You know, it's the problem is the heart, not the things. Is God really in control of our life or are we fighting him over our own plans? Sometimes our plans are based upon covetousness because we think that that special position will fill my life. That special person will fill my life. That special possession will fill my life. And we're fighting with God. We don't want to surrender our life to the Lord because we're afraid if we do, he won't let any of that happen. And that's where we have to come to the second part of verse 5. Look closely. It says, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Look, look close again at this. For he himself has said. This is not some word that somebody says, well, you know, I think God really likes you. No, no, no. He has said to you. He himself has made this proclamation. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know what this implies? This implies God thinks that if you have him, you have everything you need. Well, how's that going to pay the rent? Well, hold on, wait a second. His name is I am. I am whatever your need is at the moment. I am your fulfillment. I am your provider. I am your healer. I am your helper. He is the I am. He himself has said, I will never 
leave you nor forsake you. And actually, um, word studies makes a mention that in the Greek it's a triple negative. I will not, I will not, I will not let you down, leave you in the lurch, leave you destitute, leave you in the straits and helpless, and abandon you. It's a triple negative. I will not, I will not, I will not. And yet we think, well, that's not enough. Well, is it wrong to ask God to help us when we have needs? No, it's not. It's not wrong at all. But we can't let that need rule our life. Our confidence isn't in our circumstances. Our confidence is in the promises of God. Amen? I will never leave you. To be left means that, you know, he wandered off, not on purpose, but he got caught up in something else. And you're left in the middle of it. But to be forsaken, I will not forsake you. Maybe you've had people that have forsaken you. People that have left you in a bad, bad situation. Has ripped your life off. God says, I will never, I will never, I will never forsake you. And yet, so often we judge God based upon our circumstances, thinking that, God, where were you? Well, he was right there with you. Well, I didn't feel you. Well, I was right there with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This, if you buy into the promise that he gives to us, it's going to help bring contentment to rule in your life where you'll be grateful and thankful and you won't let people, positions, possessions rule your life. We go in and out of that. That's true. But we can have longer seasons of of the goodness. And if you buy into verse 5, you will find yourself in verse 6. Verse 6 says this, So we may boldly say, that doesn't mean arrogance, that doesn't mean pride, it means assurance and confidence. You know, the eye of the hurricane is a very special place to be when you're in an airplane. But you better move along with the hurricane, right? I mean, you know, you get through the eye of the hurricane, bam, you hit the wall of that spin, and everything's in a spin. God wants us to find that special place of grace in the eye of the hurricane, and you're seeing cows and tractors and everything spinning around, you know, in your twister. But guess what? You've got peace that surpasses understanding. I don't know how. It's by the grace of God. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? When I look back on my many, many years of serving the Lord and the sins that I've committed, I can find a common denominator. And that common denominator is fear. Fear of a lost opportunity. Fear of what other people will think of me. Fear that I may not be 
acceptable to those that I count in honor. Stupid fear. Such a captive. God, deliver me from fear. There are natural fears. I have fears of heights. I don't climb on ladders well, especially those extension ladders. I mean, to change these lights here, you know, halfway up, all of a sudden my knees start shaking and and then the whole ladder just starts going like this and all I can think of, here I come Jesus. I mean, I'm I'm just going to fall off. I might as well just die, you know. know, And then you get catatonic. I hate fear. God wants us to be not ruled by fear. And there are certain fears that are good. I mean, if, if somebody's shooting at you, it's good to fear and duck, you know. There's no guns in England. They just threaten you with bats and tire irons and things. Psalm 118, verses 5 through 8, is a quote that is drawn upon here by the writer of Hebrews. And he says in verse 5, Psalm 118, I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in prison. Fear can lock up your common sense. And through fear, you can do stupid things. God, I want to come to the place where I find contentment, covetousness doesn't rule my life, and I can have an assurance that no matter what happens in my life, you'll be there, and you'll show your testimony. Two years ago, my wife and I, at at this time, two years ago, we didn't even know if we'd be let back into the UK. Our sponsor had their license canceled, our visa was canceled, and we were in the United States. And people were telling us, well, you've already have been, you've already left. You, you, you can't get back in for a year. And we're thinking, shut the front door. You, you can't, what, what are you saying? Come on. I mean, wait a minute. Are you kidding? They can't do that. They can? Well, that's not right. But, I mean, back and forth. And we're thinking, what are we going to do? Well, we already had a return ticket. And we're thinking, at at the end of all the drama, we said, Lord, I really don't want to be turned back and do another 10-hour flight back. You know, that would be... And then the one-way tickets back last minute. Oh, my goodness. But you know what? We have to try. We just have to try. And so we got on the plane, and we, we came back to London, and they let us in. And I was like, what was that all about? (laughs) Why was that so hard? But it was just the beginning of a whole trail of issues. And yet here we are still. Well, I'm actually not in the UK. I'm I'm in Colorado. But, you know, we're still there. Four years now in the UK. Sometimes at work, we can be so aggravated that our supervisor just doesn't understand how things work. And we, we don't know why God has put them in our lives. 
and we are praying that God would bless them with another job in another company. And, and the Lord doesn't seem to be moving in that direction. And, and every day you go to work, it's a trial. You've got to pray in the car saying, I hate my job. I can't stand my supervisor. Why, don't, why do I have this? They're threatening my job. They're writing me up. They're, they're slandering me. And they're saying things that aren't true. And they're taking my plans and they're making it their plans. And they're getting the credit. And you're going, I can't stand this, God. Guess what? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? If that guy or that lady ends up causing you to lose your job, I want you to know that trusting the Lord, that he already knows what's ahead in the future. And he's got another job for you. He's at work in your life. And let me tell you, if you try to force that supervisor out through ungodly means, God will bring four others worse over you. I, I, you know, I'm, that's not a prophecy. I'm just saying, you know, it's like you're cutting weeds off the top. You know, it comes up more. So you just submit yourself and go, God, I know you're with me. And I just want to get in the flesh and then repent later. I want to give him like five-fold ministry right there, you know. And you go, you can't do that. You just can't. And so you submit. And you pray a lot. And you're broken. And you're thinking, what kind of a Christian am I? What kind of a Christian am I? But God is right there not to condemn you but to encourage you and to say the Lord is my helper I will not fear what can man do to me don't we want that kind of assurance I want it I go in and out of it I don't, I'm not there constantly 24-7 but it's such a sweet spot to get there and you just go man this is nice Lord this is where I'm supposed to be and then you wake up and you have to deal with things. God wants us to take our dreams, our plans, our hopes, to scoop them up and to lay them at the cross and to let go because we trust that his plan, his dream, his strategy is better than mine. That's called surrender. And it's a hard place to come to because some of us have worked so hard to get to where we are to let our hands release that to the Lord. All we can see is disaster. But wait a second. You're not just casting it off. You're laying it at the foot of the cross, trusting that he will do what's right. Control is a big issue. Pride is behind that whole control thing. Can I trust God? Can I count him to be my helper? Can I believe that he says, I will never, never, never leave you or forsake you? Can I not fear 
what any man can do to me. God, you're telling me it's possible. I want that in my life. I want the freedom. I want the joy. I want the release. And so tonight, if as we consider these things, this might be your situation, some battling you're going through in your heart, I want to tell you that I'm here to tell you that God wants to set you free from that. But you have to take a step of faith. You know, faith always involves risk. Every time you take a step step of faith, there's always a risk involved. Are you willing to take the risk to trust God at his word and say, God, at the beginning of this year, I want 2017 to be a year where I have found contentment like I've never found it before. Wouldn't that be a great New Year's resolution? Let's close with a word of prayer and let's ask the Holy Spirit to really move on all of our hearts to bring us to that place. Father God, we thank you for your word tonight. There's so many things that are going on in our mind as we touch upon these topics. But you tell us, I am the Lord. Nothing is too hard for me. You tell us in your word that you're our helper. So many times you told the disciples, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Father God, right now we we ask those uh, who are going through storms in their life to really reach out to you and find that rest. It's a vulnerable time. It's a scary time. It's a frustrating time. It's a broken time. Please, God. For those of us, Lord, that are battling with covetousness and and you're convicting our heart, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to break that bondage to the covetousness and bring us to the place of contentment and gratitude and thankfulness for the simple things that you've allowed us to have. God, we pray for this church that it would be a church of passion for you and love to the world and to you. Stand against the work of the enemy, Lord, against the families in this congregation and let your witness go out in 2017. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.